Proverbs. And um, I titled our study, uh, Walking by Faith, and I mean, Walking by Wisdom, Walking by Wisdom, and Not by Sight. You know, I think I can speak for all of us when I share about my own life before Christ saved me. And, and I mean, my life was uh, marked by living by sight, right? I, uh, I made uh, uh, choices. I, I, uh, my life was full of actions that, that, uh, that, um, that were really instinctual. Uh, every uh, choice, every action was made to preserve myself, my welfare. Every choice and action was made according to how much pleasure I would derive out of it. I never asked about whether there were long-term consequences. I never thought about eternal consequences to my actions. I never thought about whether or not my decisions and choices pleased God. I, I lived according to what I could see with my eyes. And, and this was all of you as well. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. And then the Lord saved us. And then um, we, our lives definitely changed. Amen? But even as born-again believers, we often make the mistake of uh, making decisions and saying things and choosing courses of actions that meet the, the mere need of the moment. We often still act according to what we can just, just see in front of us. Our, our vision is so short-sighted. We, are, we have, my, we have uh, this uh, spiritual myopia in the way we think and the way we plan. And so today's uh, verses is gonna it's gonna just remind us that uh, just how to walk more by wisdom. Wisdom you can't readily see with your physical eyes than by than by sight. I got two points: so verses one through seven, walking by wisdom, really simple. And number two, uh, uh, not walking by sight. And uh, look at uh, chapter fourteen, one through fifteen today. One through fifteen, and. Uh, This is Proverbs, Proverbs 1 through 15. And uh, who wants to read Proverbs 1 through 7? Chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Anybody, any volunteers? All right, and then who wants to read 8 through 15? Thank you, Peter. So I'm reading 14, 1 through 7. Yes, sir. The wise woman builds her house with her own hands. The foolish one bears her debt. He who walks upright fears the Lord, but he who plays her devious despises him. A fool's talk brings a rod on his back to his back. The lips of the wise protect him. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But, the, but from the strength of an ox comes abundant harvest. A truthful witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. Democracy seeks wisdom and false knowledge, but knowledge comes easily through the discerning. Stay away from a foolish man, for you will not find knowledge of his lips. Uh, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Ignorant fools scoff at fools, but along the upright, his favor. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share his gladness. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, 
but the tents of an upright will flourish. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. The one who turns back in his heart will be satisfied with his ways, but a good man will be satisfied and satisfied with his. The simple believes everything, but the prudent one discerns his steps. Well, we look at verses 1 through 7. Um, first half of verse 1 is a, is a good verse, especially when your wife asks you to build, uh, fix, some, fix something in the house, right? Say, the wise woman builds her house. Um, that's a joke. Seriously. Verse 1 summarizes the theme of <clears throat> the first 15 verses by, by letting us know the, the importance of having and, and choosing a godly wife. And in a way, uh, the godly wife that men should choose to marry, it also serves as, a, as also an illustration of the embodiment of wisdom. So, Verse 1, the idea is you want to marry this kind of wise woman, and, and in a way, you also want to be like this wise woman. You don't choose by sight. Don't choose a pretty wife. Uh, choose a wise woman. Uh, don't walk by sight. Walk according to wis uh, wisdom. And uh, elsewhere, the Proverbs describes the blessing of uh, choosing to marry a godly and wise woman. Go to chapter 12, verse 4. Solomon writes, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Chapter 18, verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good uh, thing and attains favor from Yahweh. Uh, chapter 19, verse 14, a house and wealth are, in, are an inheritance from fathers, but a wife who has insight is from Yahweh. And of course, uh, Proverbs 31, describing the godly woman. So how do you how do you recognize how do you recognize a godly woman? How do you recognize a, a wise woman? And Solomon says in verse one that, that a wise woman builds her house. She builds her house. He's not talking about uh, she's a construction worker where she's actually literally building the house, but but that she takes responsibility for what needs to happen in her home. She takes the initiative. She contributes in a wise way. She does all she can in the strength of God to make sure the, the physical and the spiritual well-being of her, of her family is taken care of. The house is her home. Look at that, verse 1. She builds her house. The house is her home. It's almost as if she's, like, she's one with her, with her home. She's, she's one with her family. But... Uh, Solomon contrasts the wise woman with the, with the woman of folly in the second half of verse 1. And, and the woman, the foolish woman, is the exact opposite of the wise woman. The foolish woman tears her home down with her own hands. Her own hands, she destroys her home and her family. And, and the, emphasis, the emphasis here in the second half of verse 1 is that, that the destruction of her family and the destruction of her household is due to her own incompetence. It's because of her own pride and arrogance. It's because of her refusal to make peace with her husband. It's because of her wicked mouth and her, her hot temper, her lack of self-control, that not only, can, not, not only cannot a, 
not only can't a, a foolish woman build her home in the first place, but that even when she receives a home and a family by God's common grace, she, she eventually destroys that home with her own hand. In other words, the woman you choose to marry is, is not, a, is not a, an unimportant matter. She can either build your home or she can tear it down. She can either make a man or make a husband or break a husband. And uh, have you ever known wives like this? Or I had a, I had a, a good friend of mine, and he, his son uh, married a really, really a, a, a attractive woman. But it wasn't uh, oh, soon after, um, it wasn't long after, after they married, uh, he realized what kind of a woman she was. She was, she was a she was a horrible mother. She was a horrible wife. The house was always a mess, a, a disaster zone. Her son was uh, never cared for. He was always dirty. She never uh, cooked for him. And um, eventually, of course, divorce happened. He's, he wasn't a believer. And even after the divorce, um, she never wanted to see her boy. She never wanted to see her son. The son was always with the father. And then that son, you know, he grew up, and his grand, his grandparents took care of him, and I got to know him. And and then his father was about to be remarried, and he's in, he's in the eighth grade. He's in, he's in the ninth grade. And he was so excited. He was so excited. He was going to get a mom who was normal. And he was so happy. So happy. And then right before... His father was about to get married. He had a phone. He had a phone call with his mom, and he said, "Mom, you know, once once uh, Dad gets married, um, don't expect anything from me because she's going to be my mother." And that scared her, right? That scared her, and she eventually apologized to the father. She tried to be the uh, the mother to her son. She never was. There are many women out there like that. It's a wise. Build your home. Build your home. Don't tear it down with your own hands. There are two roads in life you can take. There are two roads to travel on. Verse 2 says there's the straight path, and there's the crooked path. In verse 2, it contrasts the lifestyle of the godly and the ungodly with the metaphor of two ways. Uh, two roads. Look at verse 2. He who walks in his uprightness fears Yahweh. That, that word walks is just a metaphor for living. But he who is devious in his ways, uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a, a metaphor for the road we, 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 we walk on, we live the lifestyle we choose to have. Well, the one who is devious in his ways despises him. Verse 2 contrasts the lifestyle of the godly and the ungodly with the metaphor of two ways or two roads. The one who walks fearing Yahweh walks in his uprightness. Um, godly character, godly conduct is intrinsic to who he is. Uh, practical righteousness just is this inalienable possession of his. It's internal. It's internal. It just, it just bubbles forth. Solomon wants men and women to be high character people. To always do the right thing, even if it costs you what you want. Don't compromise your integrity for some end you want to achieve. See, if you can't get it, if you can't get what you want, 
walking on the righteous road, then it's something that God doesn't want you to have. Don't be tempted to cheat. Don't be tempted to take the evil road because you know it'll be faster because you know you'll get what you want. Because if you're constantly taking the, the broad path, it shows your relationship with God. See, there's the, the right path, and then there's the other road of the devious, the tricky, the schemer. There's these fixed boundaries that we can walk in. There are rules. And this, the devious person, is always crossing the boundary. Your ethics, the, the ethics are constantly betraying his religious devotions. And the one devious in his ways, the one who's tricky, the one who's scheming, it shows he despises God. He, he doesn't fear Yahweh. And this one, this, this kind of person just wanders like a, like a boat in the ocean with no, no mast, with no anchor. You wander here and there according to your sinful lust, no direction, no firm course set. And so in verses 1 and 2, we get the major, we get this, the, the major principles of wisdom, of living rightly, and then um, in verse three, the uh, verse three applies the principle we principle we covered in verses one and two uh, to our speech. Verse three applies the principles we looked at in verses one and two to our to our words, to our speech. And look what it says in verse three about the the mouth of the ignorant fool. The mouth of the of the ignorant fool is a rod of lofty pride. The fool's mouth is like a, it would, it would be like, a, like let's say you're walking down the street and you, you're in the mall and you see a, a gentleman, a guy, and he has a, a rod and he's just hitting himself in the back. He's just hitting himself. And you're thinking, what kind of fool? And he's hitting himself hard. And there it's, and it's, it's ripping his shirt and he's bleeding and there's, and, it's, and, it's, and he's being bruised. And you're thinking to yourself, what kind of idiot would do that? And Solomon says, the ignorant fool who doesn't watch what he says. That our mouths are our own worst enemy. enemy. That his mouth is always hurting himself and other people. Um, look at what of Proverbs 26, verse 3. A whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Do you remember before God saved you? Yeah, I, I mean, I was just saying things that are that were always getting me into trouble. Um, I lost quite a few jobs just because I I opened my mouth when I didn't need to open my mouth, and my mouth still does those puts me into those kind of situations, but not. Nearly as much. There are a lot of things that I that I say in my mind that I need to repent of, but I, I keep them in my mind. They don't come out of my mouth because I know um, I'll hurt myself with my own words. Yeah. Solomon says that the the mouth of a fool is a, a rod of lofty pride. It's it's when your mouth is motivated by sinful pride and arrogance. When you say words motivated by your um, because you think you're 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 really important, uh, or it, it, it could mean that 
the, the fool's mouth is always revealing his pride. You know, both is true, however, uh, whatever uh, exactly Solomon means. But look at the second part of verse 3. The, but the lips of the wise will keep them. Uh, to keep is to protect something. That your mouth is the best kind of self-protection. So when you have kids, the best form of self-protection aren't karate lessons. It's controlling their mouths. Teach your children to get a black belt in controlling their tongues. Every day, Paul tells me, you know, uh, the class uh, had to, uh, was punished because why? Kids were talking. Kids were talking when they weren't supposed to talk. The kids who can't control their mouths, guess what? They sit at the front of the class, right next to the teacher. The kids who can control their mouths, they get the luxury of sitting in the back, having a little freedom. Um, your mouth protects you. Your mouth can get, can get you out of a lot of dangerous situations. I know, I, I remember um, the story of a, of a crazy man uh, uh, finding his way in the offices of uh, Grace Community Church. And there was a guy with a knife, and, he, and he, he made his way into the office, and he found John MacArthur. And then he had a knife. And what, guess what John did? He talked him out of it. He spoke to him. He said, hey, he to put, the light, put the knife down, right? And uh, his mouth, his words, the wisdom of his words protected him. It kept him safe, right? When people attack you with their words, the lips of the wise protect themselves when fools would react with anger and vengeance, and that, what does that result in? Mutual destruction. There's no winners in interpersonal conflict, right? When two people are saying wicked words to each other, it's a lose-lose proposition. There are no winners in that situation. Uh, and it's best just to have one, one spouse, one friend, just leave the situation. Because um, when, you're both, when, when, when you have two people who have a, a mouth that's like a rod of lofty pride, it's mutual, mutual destruction. Now we move on to verse 4. And again, the, the principles of wisdom found in verses 1 and 2 that were applied to the mouth in verse 3 is those same principles are applied to work in verse 4. They're applied to industry, applied to your uh, working habits, your job, where you, where you find your place of employment. And he talks about um, the lazy and the diligent. The lazy, you ever, have you ever known a really lazy person? Have you ever known a really lazy person? What, what is one what what particular quality that stands out? <laughs> they're, they're irrational. That the reasons they give you for not working simply don't make sense. Look, look at the, the, the lazy person. You know what? If I don't have any oxen, the manger is clean. Like if I don't have any, any cows, I don't have to clean the barn. I don't have to hire anybody to take care of the oxen. I don't have to incur all those expenses. 
Right? I, we had a friend, um, and he was a believer. And he was he had a lot of great qualities. He was very kind, very gentle. But he was lazy. I mean, he struggled with that. And he lived a very, very, with, within, I mean, very poorly. I mean, he barely made it uh, from month to month. He was like a beanpole. He, he couldn't afford groceries. And he had a part-time job. He worked like 10 to 15 hours a week. And I would, I'd, I would always say to him, brother, why don't you get another job? Like work 40 hours, work 50 hours. And you know what he would say to me? Well, I have to pay more taxes then. I have to pay more taxes if I get two jobs. And I would say, hey, <laughs> but your debt total at the end will be higher than it is now with one job. And he just couldn't get it. He was like this guy. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean. Then Solomon says, but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox. That you invest, you put up some upfront up expenses, you invest wisely in, a, in an occupation that's going to, that's going to in long term, in, in the long term, bring you an income, and that'll be well worth it. Some college loans are worth the right major, right? Uh, some college loans, if the wrong, with the wrong major, at a really expensive school, they're not they're, they're not worth it, right? Um, and now, of course, there are exceptions, but uh, you're probably not the exception. And then we move to verse 5, and, and Solomon returns to the, the subject of speaking, and now he focuses on the character of the, of the person speaking. And he says, a, a faithful witness will not lie. Um, witnesses don't lie because they're faithful to God. You know, often the judge is able to be able to, they're able to discriminate between a true and false testimony by the character of the witnesses. The, the integrous person is usually speaking the truth. The, 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 the unrighteous person is usually lying. I remember in middle school, you know, I, I, I got into this conflict with the kid with a really bad reputation. And we gave our stories. We gave our testimonies. And uh, I knew that the teacher wouldn't believe him. So I lied. I, I was in the wrong. I was in the wrong. He was in the right. He told the truth. I lied. Guess what? She believed me. She believed me. And he got in trouble. Now, her, her mistake was I was a lot more evil than she thought I was. But it goes to show you that your character um, will, people will listen to you. People will trust you. A, a faithful witness won't be, uh, won't compromise by, by somebody begging you to lie for them, by bribes, by promises, to, uh, by threats. And no, you have to speak the truth. You have to speak the truth. Um, I remember I was in a, in a rehab situation, you know, I was, uh, doing ministry at the rehab situation. And there was this, you know, sometimes you have really bad people there. You know, you have, uh, you have gang members there. And one of the gang members, his role in the gang, he was, the, he was an assassin. Like, he would actually be the one to kill people. 
and he was he was sharing details with me, and I was like, "Hey, I don't want no details, because if the police ask me what you said to me, I'm gonna have to tell the truth, and I don't want you to kill me." Um, uh, a false a false witness will not lie, no matter what the no matter what the situation, no matter what the situation. In verse six. Um, talks about the fool or the scoffer. The scoffer is the unbeliever. The, the scoffer is the one who goes, yeah, there, God doesn't exist. If God existed, why don't, why, why, why doesn't he, I'm going to just mouth off to him and, 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 and challenge him to strike me down right now. That's the scoffer. And he says, Solomon says, the scoffer, even when he seeks for wisdom, cannot find it. See, the proud, the ungodly, they're, they can achieve a lot of a lot of good things, but the one thing they can't find, even if they tried, is wisdom. The ungodly, they're so proud, they're unable to humble themselves before God's word. They don't take morality seriously. They don't take purity very, very highly. They don't, they don't take right or wrong in a in a in a, in a way that, that God wants us to. And because the unrighteous have this an exaggerated opinion of his own importance, because he desires social power, because of his self-exaltation and his self-centeredness, every time he begins to look for wisdom, he ends up back again and again to the foolishness of his own self-interest and his own pleasures. The righteous on the other, other, other hand, look at verse 6, it's easy to one, knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. Knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. Um, two people can listen to a, the same sermon, and one person can be think it's horrible, and the other person can think it's the most wonderful delivery of truth there is. You know, years ago at Grace Church, there's one, one particular preacher for a long time, I, I couldn't stand the way he preached. I mean, I, it was boring. He never had an introduction. And I was always saying to myself, why does he ever have an introduction? Can he just, want, for once in his life, give us an introduction? He, and he preached the word. And he was faithful. And it was good. But I was so proud. I was so so uh, arrogant that I wasn't able to receive the the, the, the abundance of truth his sermons contain. And then one day after I, I was, he preached one morning and I was walking out, I didn't listen to a, a, a word of it. I was just like kind of wandering around tired. These two 11 year, 11 year old, 12 year old, they were, they were sharing notes. They said, wow, wasn't that so good? What was point number one? Point number two? <laughs> Humble. Humbled by babes, humbled by little children. Why? The scoffer looks for wisdom, finds none. But knowledge is easy to one who has understanding. The innocent, the one who has no, um, is not looking for anything fancy. And then verse 7, what do you do when you realize you're in the presence of a fool? You leave, you leave. There's no lips of knowledge there. Once you realize you're in the presence of the fool, there's a, there's a sense of urgency. Run away. 
run away. There's, this, there's no good that's going to come out of your friendship with the fool. He has nothing to offer you. He has nothing to offer you. Um, there were friends we, there were friends that we chose in high school, and instead of running away from, we became best friends with them. Right? Uh, Solomon says, "You, you got to run. You got to run like uh, like Joseph ran from." Potiphar's wife, so does the wise man leave the presence of a fool. Now we move to point number two. Don't walk by sight. Don't walk by sight. Uh, church, church, uh, the first half of chapter 14 began with the wise woman's ability to build a house. The wise woman walks according to wisdom. Now in the second half of chapter 14, Solomon admonished us not to walk as fools who judge only by appearance and as a result destroy their homes. You see, if you want to be wise, if you want to be prudent, you need to understand your life very well. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, to understand your path. Make sure you, you deeply understand the connection between your choices and the consequences of your choices. Make sure you, you understand the connection between your actions and the destiny of your life. Fools, on the other hand, the folly of fools, verse 8, is deceit. They're, they're always deceiving themselves. There's, they're lying to themselves. They think they can, they can do anything they want and get away with it. They're morally uh, blind and, and insensitive. They deceive themselves and they deceive others without realizing their schemes to victimize other people end up with the result of their own victimization. When we were in Manhattan a few weeks ago, we spent Saturday, Sunday in Manhattan just hanging out, eating uh, really good food. We went to Tim Ho Wan. Have you went to Tim Ho Wan, the dim sum? That is the greatest dim sum I've ever had in the universe. It was so good. Just, just to write that down. Um, I wanted to stand up and give the, the, the cook a standing ovation. Well, anyways, we were about to park uh, it, it, near the hotel, and I and I, I, I went to the hotel. I, I put on the blinker. I was about to back into the space. This was my space. Nobody was even close. A guy behind me uh, accelerated like 80 miles an hour from behind, and he just took the spot. Took the spot. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. My wife said, hey, there's another spot in front. Okay, fine. I went to the spot. I was upset. This, I, that's never happened. That, that was just brazen rudeness. And I walked by him. I looked at him. He was disheveled. He didn't have a shirt on. And I thought to himself, you know what? That type of, that type of person, those, those kind of actions... He's only hurting himself. You know, that type of guy, when he does that, he's only, he's only destroying himself. And I felt sorry for him. You see, when, you, when you're bringing trouble for others, you're only, in the end, bringing trouble to yourself. Um, verse 9 is the chiasm. And that means uh, the second part of verse 8 and the first part of verse 9, they go together. Do you see the, the same word, word fools? So fools deceive themselves, verse 8, and they mock guilt. They mock guilt. 
In other words, fools are never wrong. They're never guilty. Fools never have to say sorry. They never have to make it up to anyone. They always have some kind of self-justification for their wicked deeds. You know, unbelievers, unbelievers in your life who have never said sorry to you, ever? I know a few. But with the upright, there is favor. Verse 9. When they're guilty, they go to God for favor and grace and forgiveness and mercy. When they go to others, they ask for, for forgiveness. Now, you know, when you ask for forgiveness, even to unbelievers, nine out of ten times, they'll forgive you. They'll be shocked when you ask them, but they will forgive you. We go to verse 10, and, and you see the we, we, we see the theme of the second half of verse 14, I mean, the second half of chapter 14, about the, the deception of appearances. Looks are deceptive. Appearances are de deceptive. Verse 10, Solomon says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and a, and a stranger does not share its gladness. Um, when somebody's bitter, only the, only the person knows it. Um, a stranger who doesn't know him uh, cannot share in the, the, the joy he's feeling. You see, appearances are deceptive. Inside of us, what's inside of you? What's inside of you? It's a mixture of emotions, of intellectual thoughts, there's a spiritual side to you. There's a moral side to you. And that's complex. And it's all mixed together. And it's in inward. And it's too personal for other people to know what is motivating that person. See, only God ultimately knows the human heart. Go to chapter 15, verse 11. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before Yahweh. How much more the hearts of the sons of men. God knows what's in a person's heart. Verse 2, chapter 16. All the ways of a man are pure in his own sight, but Yahweh weighs the motives. Even, even to, the, to, 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 to your own self, you think your motives are, are pure, but, but God knows you more than yourself. God knows your inner, inner man more than you do. More than you do. Look at Chapter 21, verse 2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but Yahweh weighs the hearts. Chapter 24, verse 12. If you say, Behold, we do not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts understand? And does not he who guards your soul know? And will he not render to man according to his work? In other words, let me ask you a question. Are you God? Are you God? And stop judging people's motives. You have no idea. You have no clue. You know, sometimes I do that. I, you know, people will say, so, oh, I, I'll tell my wife, oh, I know, why she, I know why she said that. I know why he said that. I don't. You can't see inside a person's heart. So be cautious about evaluating others. Be sympathetic. And when people judge you wrongly, Except being misunderstood. This is the reality of the world. Don't worry about it. My my judge is God. I'll worry about I'll worry about him.
Now in verse 11, uh, again, appearances are deceptive. Uh, don't walk by sight. Look what it says in verse 11. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. What's the difference between a house or a tent? And a tent. What's the difference? Yeah. Like all of you live in houses, and homeless people live in cardboard boxes, right? Tents. And Solomon's saying, don't judge a book by its cover. Don't see a large house of somebody successful and think, this is the path I need to take. Because the house of the wicked will be destroyed. With the humble tent of the upright will flourish. The humility, the godliness of the righteous will make the right decision. Um, you might look at that tent, you might that look, look at that humble home and think, oh, that person is going nowhere. But Solomon says, don't walk by sight. Don't walk by what you can see. You see, if you're upright, you're going to flourish. You're going to prosper. Um, there's a lot of rich people who are miserable. There are, there are a lot of wealthy people who are uh, very sad, who have, have, have really screwed up lives. See, evil people can live in houses and, and righteous can live in tents. And verse 12, we, we really get to a kind of climax here. And verse 12 gives us the reason we shouldn't walk by sight. Verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see? You can go on living for the rest of your life, deceiving yourself, thinking you've done everything right, but in the end, when you're burning in hell, God will show you that your whole life was a big mistake. In the end, everything is clear. In the end, you'll find out. So, examine your life today. Don't fool yourself now. Live in light of the end. And sometimes I can deceive myself. Sometimes I can justify my actions. And then I think to myself, I was thinking to myself, based on this verse, but in the end, I'll really know. You'll really know whether you were right or not. The end makes the present clear. So live in light of the end. Verse 13, um, it's kind of similar to verse 10. Even in laughter, their heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. Um, you know, in a fallen world, the default condition is, is just sorrow. Babies come into this world crying. And when you die, you, you leave this world in grief. It's just a sad world. It's a sad life. And in the, in the meantime, there, may, there might be laughing and gladness, but it's superficial. It's superficial. That even somebody in pain, it may seem like he's laughing and enjoying life. But in the end, at the end of life, um, there's always grief. 
There's always regret. There's always sadness. Um, and the point of this proverb is to anchor your joy in Christ. Find your satisfaction in the eternal, in heavenly matters. Or when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to regret not having the house you wanted. You're not going to think about... Um, you're not going to think about all the vacations you didn't take. No, in the end, um, you'll, you'll think about, what, what, am I ready for heaven? Am I ready for heaven? And then as Solomon finishes in verse 14, Solomon tells us, don't turn back. Don't turn back. Don't finish the race. Don't turn back up in the end. Because verse 14, the one who turns back in his heart, he'll be satisfied with his ways. The, the, the apostate will be rewarded, but not as, ex, as he expected. If his ways were evil, if he turns back, he'll be punished. No, don't turn back. Be, be the good man, and you'll be satisfied with your rewards in heaven. And then verse 15 kind of closes off uh, this uh, this first half of chapter 14. And, and uh, Solomon says that the, the simple, look, verse 15, the simple believes everything. The simple believes everything he, he sees on CNN. Everything he reads in the newspaper. He, 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 he's gullible. She's gullible. Everything's right. They never think deeply about life. Never think deeply about decisions. But verse 15 with the prudent one discerns the steps. The prudent one thinks deeply about his life, the direction of his life, his goals, his choices. And he's and the prudent man is going to the scriptures for answers. He's digging deep for guidance in the word of God. He's praying day and night to seek God's will. He's asking people for counsel from godly men and women. He's reading, she's reading edifying material. He or she is protecting their minds from the entertainment, the sinful entertainment of the world. Don't believe everything you see. Don't believe, don't believe everything you read. Be prudent and discern your steps. 